Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to have it open at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is what we're going to consider this evening. Psalm 51, and beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. This is the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word and we trust that God will bless the reading of his word to our souls. Well friends perhaps if you have a Bible with you can I encourage you to turn again with me to Psalm 51, Psalm 51 as we study it together this evening so that we can see what God is saying to us through his word, Psalm 51. Before I was in uh, Glen Wary. I was the assistant minister in First Portadown Presbyterian Church. And before I was the assistant minister in First Portadown Presbyterian Church, I was the minister of Dumfries Free Church of Scotland over in uh, the south of Scotland there. Part of my role, we were part of the, the, the Glasgow and Argyle Presbytery, which covers quite a, a big area of Scotland by the time you've taken in Glasgow and Argyle. Part of my role in that presbytery was that I was the convener of the Presbytery Finance Committee. So it was my responsibility every year to set the budget. It was my responsibility every year to work out how much each congregation was supposed to pay in order to make presbytery function effectively. I can vividly remember one year whenever the congregations would send their returns in to me, I'd work out how much money as a presbytery we had and how much money then each congregation was supposed to pay. I remember vividly one year uh, a congregation sent me in some figures and I went back to them and I said, okay, here's what you have to pay for the running of presbytery this year. And I said, seems a bit steep, Trevor. Are you sure you're right there? I said, yep, 100% absolutely right. Nothing wrong with my sums, nothing wrong with my calculations. 100% right. Are you sure? Yep, 100% until somebody else in the committee decided to look at the figures and discover that I was hugely wrong and had miscalculated 
The figures probably doesn't give you much confidence in the convener of the Presbytery Finance Committee, but there you have it. But what did I have to do at the next Presbytery meeting then? I had to go to that treasurer who I assured that I had the right sums and I had to apologize. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I'm sorry, I miscalculated. I'm sorry, can be some of the hardest words to say, can't they? Because we have to admit that we were wrong. We have to admit that we got it wrong. And if that's true on a purely human level, in our relationships with each other, how much more difficult can those words be to say to God? Because fundamentally, we all like to think that we've got life together. We like to think that if there are any sins in our lives, that they're fairly minor. They're not really major sins, that we don't really have all that much to be sorry for. That God might have had to have saved us, but he only had to save us a little bit. He only had to forgive us a little bit. And it's here tonight then that Psalm 51 hits us. Because we can say tonight, well, the sin of David was very great, and it was. David had a lot to be sorry for, and that's true. But hopefully, as we'll see this evening, the appropriate response to all sin, the appropriate response to all sin is to repent, is to turn to God and to seek his forgiveness. To pray to God for forgiveness and truly repent of our sin. We want to think about three things and see three things together from Psalm 51. Firstly, we'll think about a recognition of sin. David sees what his sin is most fundamentally, who his sin is against most fundamentally. Secondly, we'll see what David does with that recognition of his sin. Once he realizes that his sin is against God most fundamentally, David repents. He turns away from his sin. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see the Savior from sin. Who is it who forgives sin? Recognition of sin, repentance from sin, and savior from sin. So firstly then, recognition of sin, recognition of sin. And we see that in verses three to five, three to six actually, of Psalm 51, the recognition of sin. So we're considering these Psalms as a a, a standalone Psalm, really, I suppose, I know you considered a, a, a psalm this morning, and we're familiar then with some psalms, you get a little bit of historical information, you get a little bit of background about what's happened in the psalm, and that's the case here in Psalm 51. If you look at uh, the, the, the prescript to the psalm, to the choir master of David, uh, to the choir master, we're told, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So that sets the context for us. That tells us when this psalm was written. It was written after David's sin has been exposed. It was written after the prophet Nathan challenged David about his behavior with Bathsheba. It's written after David has murdered Uriah the Hittite. Well, he hasn't murdered him per se, but he certainly made sure that he died. And the first thing that we want to notice tonight is how David recognizes his own sin. And we see that verse 3. What does David say? I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David knew that he'd sinned. David knew that he'd done wrong. It was always before him. There was no getting away from it. There was nowhere that David could go and hide from this. There was nowhere where David could go and it wasn't at the forefront of his mind. He knew that he'd sinned and he knew that he'd done wrong. And notice that the different words that are used here. Verse 3. David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Each of those words carry sort of slightly different connotations they carry slightly different marks if you like david says verse 3 i know my transgression transgression here would be the idea that god's word god's law was a perfectly straight path 
That was the path that David should have been walking on. But instead of walking on that path, David had stepped off. David had turned aside. David had gone a a different way. That's the idea behind transgression. It's a stepping off of the path. It's a moving off the right way and going your own way. But he also uses the word here, sin. And the idea conveyed with with, with that is that if God's law is the, 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 the target, if God's law is what David was aiming for, he'd missed the mark. He hadn't hit the target. There was a congregation on uh, Friday night, Glenwary. The men from Glenwary are going clay pigeon shooting. Uh, I'm not really holding out much hope of winning any trophies. But that's the, the idea that's being conveyed here, that the target's there, but you've missed it. The target's there, but you haven't hit it. That's the idea conveyed with sin here. But it was a sin that wouldn't let him go, isn't it? If sin is ever before him, it's always there no matter what it is that David's doing no matter where it is that he goes the sin is always there I know my transgressions I know what I've done wrong I know heavenly father that I have sinned I know the sin in my heart my sin is always before me I can't get it out of my mind when I was uh, studying GCSE English literature many years ago now we had to study uh, Macbeth that was one of the, the texts that was set before us. And there's that very famous scene in Macbeth where they, after they've killed King Duncan, Lady Macbeth assures Macbeth that a little water will wash us of this deeds. Yet no matter how much water she used, no matter how much she tried to rub away the effects, that that spot of blood was still on her hands. It was still there. It was there as a reminder of the sin that's committed. And that's the picture David paints for us here of his sin that it's always before him, it's always with him, it's always there. And as we move on to verse 4, we notice that David says something a little bit surprising, doesn't he? Because he says, verse 4, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now let's think about the narrative here. Let's think about when this was written. That's why this is so helpful. This is written after the prophet Nathan has confronted David about his sin. This is written after David has taken Bathsheba to be his wife. As we think about the the context then, there's plenty of people that we can say that David has sinned against, isn't there? Most fundamentally in this story, we would think about Uriah the Hittite. Because after all, David has taken his wife. David has then sent him into battle David has tried to trick him and then ultimately David has ensured that he has been killed he's taken his wife and he's taken his life so most fundamentally it seems to me that David has sinned against Uriah but yet David's also sinned against Bathsheba hasn't he he's objectified her he's lusted over her he'd taken her albeit there's no record or there's no suggestion that Bathsheba wasn't a willing participant in this affair Yet to use New Testament language, David hasn't treated Bathsheba as a sister, has he? He sinned against her. But David's also sinned against his fellow Israelites. He sinned against his soldiers. Because all of this happened, we're told, at the time when the kings go to war. So David should have been out there. David should have been fighting his battles. David should have been there waging war. David should have been there with his men, leading them, commanding them. And yet he stayed at home. He chose to take the easy path. So as we think about the context, as we think about the narrative that's recorded for us, there's plenty of people that David has sinned against, aren't there? 
So how do we get to the point then, verse 4, where David says it's against you. You only have I sinned, O Lord. Well, it's a reminder to us tonight that every sin, every sin, every sin is first and foremost a sin against God. Every sin tonight is fundamentally an attack on the goodness and love and grace and mercy of God. It's a sin against God's goodness, his love and his glory. There are others here who are hurt by David's sin. Uriah is hurt by David's sin. Bathsheba is hurt by David's sin. The fellow Israelites are hurt by David's sin. But fundamentally David can say it's against you and you only, O Lord, that I've sinned. It's against your goodness, it's against your grace, it's against your justice, O Lord, that I have sinned. And as we come tonight, friends, we need to remind ourselves that that's how serious sin is. That each of our sins, as we gather in together this evening, each of our sins is fundamentally an attack on the goodness and mercy and justice of God. That sin is not a trifling matter. Sin is not something to be done lightly. But that sin is an attack on the goodness and love of God. But it's this realization, verse 4. It's this thought that it's against God only that he's sinned, that he's done what's evil in God's sight, that means then, it brings David to that realization in the second half of verse 4. So that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Because it's against God that he sinned. God is perfectly just in his verdict. Because it's God's law that David has transgressed, then God is perfectly just in his judgment because God has judged him for his sin. David recognizes his sin here. He sees it for what it is. He sees it as an attack on the holy God. Friends, if we're going to deal with our sin tonight, we need to recognize it for what it truly is. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first, first of all, most fundamentally, we need to recognize it as sin. We have to see something as sinful before we can begin to deal with it. You see, in our minds, I think there are big sins that we've no problem identifying as sins. You know, sexual sins, okay, we can say, well, okay, that's a sin. Financial sin, we'll say, okay, that's definitely a sin. But there are other sins that maybe we're quicker to pass over. There are other sins in our hearts that we're maybe quicker to harbor. We need to see that our little sin is sin as well, that our little sin has that same effect of cutting us off from God. That little bit of gossip that's passed on maliciously is sin. That delight when something bad happens to one of our competitors, that's sin. That burst of anger that comes from nowhere for no real reason, that's sin. If we're going to deal with our sin, if we're going to have our sin dealt with effectively tonight, we need to recognize what sin is. And we need to see it in our own hearts. But we also need to recognize that all sin has that same effect and consequence. That all sin has the effect of cutting us off from God, of breaking that relationship with God. Our sin, of course, has implications for others. As we sin it, there's no question that it affects our relationship with other people. 
But most fundamentally, we need to see that our sin breaks our relationship with God. That a holy, righteous, just God cannot tolerate even an ounce of sin, not even a hint of sin. And so we need to see that if we are sinful, fallen human beings that we are, we need to see that we're cut off from a holy, righteous God. And we need to celebrate tonight the wonder of the gospel because the good news of Jesus Christ is that our sin can be dealt with. Is that this gap between a holy, righteous God and a sinful, fallen people has been bridged in Jesus Christ. That we can know God tonight because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our sins, they are many, the hymn tells us, but his mercy is more. If we're going to deal with our sin, we need to recognize our sin. If we're going to put our sin right, we need to see the sin in our hearts. David recognizes his sin here, and so must we. But secondly tonight, then, we see the repentance from sin, the repentance from sin. And we see that in verses 1 and 2, and then down into 7 to 12. So David's recognized his sin. He's seen, verse 4, that it's against God, God only that he's sinned. So the question then is, well, what's he going to do with it? Having recognized his sin as sin, how does David respond? Well, we get the answer in verse 1, don't we? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. What does David do with his sin? He takes it to God. He prays that God would forgive him. You see, David appeals here to the the covenant mercy of God. That's that little phrase, steadfast love. It's hesed, it's covenant mercy, covenant love. And David, in effect, says to God, Psalm 51, look, you've promised to love us. You've bound yourself to us in covenant. And in that covenant love, in that steadfast love, have mercy on me. In that steadfast love, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That's what David does with his sin. He takes it to God and asks God to forgive him. You see, David here, looking at the psalm almost backwards, David here, verse 4, recognizes that his sin is against God. Because his sin is against God in verse 4, God is the only one who can forgive his sin. Because his sin is primarily against God, it must be God who forgives him. He knows that he can't save himself. He knows that he can't help himself. He recognizes that even verse 16 there. We read Psalm 51, 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Rather, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David recognizes here, verse 16, he can't bring the right sacrifice. He can't atone for his own sin. He can't make right things right by himself. He recognizes that his forgiveness must come from God and God alone. And that tonight, friends, is why the gospel is such good news. That's why the gospel tonight is such a message of hope. Because the gospel on the one hand declares to us that we are sinners, yes. That we have broken God's holy law, yes. That we have lived lives our own way, yes. That we have sinned against God. But the gospel also declares to us that that hope 
of restoration, that hope of forgiveness, that hope of right relationship comes also from God in and through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sinned against God, but God acts to restore that relationship. We have broken God's law, but God acts to restore that relationship. The forgiveness comes from outside of ourselves. You see, just like David tonight, there's none of us can save ourselves. There's none of us can do enough good deeds. There's none of us can, can somehow make the scales come out in our favor. But rather that goodness and forgiveness for sin comes from God. The sacrifice for sin comes from God. And we receive the benefits and peace of sins forgiven. We see this idea of repentance further outlined, verse 10. What is it that David's pleading for? What is it that David's seeking from the Lord? Verse 10, well, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's a good illustration of what repentance is. You see, sometimes we can be tempted to reduce repentance down to, to, to sorrow for sin. And actually, sometimes what we mean is that we're sorry we got caught. We're not actually sorry for the sin itself. We're sorry that this sin has been brought to light. We're not sorry for the sin itself, but we're sorry that people now know about it. But actually, true repentance here involves a change of heart. It involves a change of direction. It involves going a new way. Uh, a, a few years ago now, I had to uh, retake my driving test, not because I'd done anything illegal, I hasten to add, but I, I'd learned how to drive in an automatic car, and we were upgrading the car and looking at manual cars so I had to retake my driving test in a, a, a manual and every driving test you have to to perform that series of maneuvers you get a series of, of maneuvers to prove you can control the car and on this day I got the easiest one there was a three-point turn in the road you know you're going one way and you have to turn the car around without hitting other cars the curb or pedestrians or whatever it is might come across your path and you have to turn the car around and go in the opposite direction and that's what repentance is, friends. You see, repentance is that complete turning around of going our own way and instead now going God's way, of having a heart that, that was unclean, of having a heart that was impure, and having now, verse 10, a heart that is clean. It's a change of heart. It's no longer allowing sin to rule in our lives, no longer allowing sin to be the driving force in our lives, but instead allowing God to be. And David prays, verse 10, that the Lord would work that repentance within him, that the Lord would give him that right spirit, that new heart. That the Lord wouldn't cast him out of his presence or take his Holy Spirit from him. You see, friends, whenever we sin and whenever we recognize the sin of our hearts, whenever we see the sin that lurks in those recesses of our hearts, we need to do what David does here. We need to come and ask that God would forgive us. Come and ask that God would cleanse us. Come and ask that God would create a new heart in us. If we're due, we're reminded in the Bible that God is faithful and just. That he will forgive us for our iniquity. He will cleanse us from our unrighteousness. You see, the temptation whenever our sin is Highlighted, whenever we see the sin of our hearts, the temptation is to run from God. 
The temptation is to say, well, that's me ruined. That's it forever, that I'm going to be cast off forever. But it's actually at that very moment that we need to run to God to confess our sin and to receive forgiveness in Christ. When we recognize our sin, we must run to Christ. Thirdly, finally then, we see the Savior from sin. And we see that in verses 13 to 19. So David's recognized his sin. He's repented from his sin. But what is his hope? What is it that he's basing his hope on? Well, ultimately, we get the answer in verse 14. He prays to the God who will save him from his sin. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. What is his hope? As he faces his sin, it's that God would save him, that God would forgive him, that God would go before him. We see that further expanded verse 16 that we thought about just a few moments ago. That God doesn't take delight in ritual, that God doesn't take delight in sacrifices that are brought just by going through the motions. Sacrifices that are brought with no real thought or effort, but rather, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, And a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David's hope is that his heart is genuinely broken over his sin. Is that his sin has come before him and he's seen it for what it is as an attack on God. And he has repented of it. What is David's hope in the faces of of his overwhelming sin? It's in the fact that God forgives. And that God forgives all those who call upon him. Now what's your hope in the face of your sin tonight? What is it that you're putting your trust in in the face of your sin tonight? Well you might say to me first of all, you might say, well Trevor look, I, I, I don't have any sin. What is it the Bible tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you're saying to me tonight that you've no sin, you're kidding yourself on. If you say to me tonight that you've never broken God's law, then you're kidding yourself on. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if that's your hope in the face of your sin this evening, then you're bait. But you see, 1 John continues and he gives us the hope in the face of our sin. Because if we say we have no sin, John tells us we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, friends, that has to be your hope in the face of your sin tonight that you've confessed it to God, that you've repented of it in Christ. And if you have, you know that you're forgiven. You know that God is faithful and just. Recognize your sin this evening. See it for what it is, as an assault on a holy and good God. Repent from your sin this evening, just as David did here. And know the Savior from sin who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is 
the Savior from sin. We thank you, Father, that you are a just and a faithful God, that if we confess our sin, we know that you will forgive us. We pray tonight, Father, that you would help us to repent, help us always to look to Christ. Help us, Heavenly Father, always to be ready to run to you when we sin rather than running from you. We recognize that our natural reaction is like that of Adam in the Garden of Eden, that we run and we seek to hide. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that we might run to you, our loving Heavenly Father, that we might confess our sin and know the peace of your forgiveness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.